Hello and welcome to the Friday, October 4th, 2019 edition of On Iowa Politics. This week, an impeachment, a retirement, and a campaign launch. Hi, I'm James Lynch from the Cedar Rapids Gazette. With me today are Ed Tibbetts of the Quad City Times. Good morning, Ed. Morning, James. Aaron Murphy, Lee Newspaper Statehouse Bureau Chief. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning, James. And Gazette columnist Todd Dorman. Good morning, Todd. Good morning. You can find us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. First up, coup or impeachment? We thought we'd be talking about impeachment, but given the Democrats' enthusiasm for impeachment, the Marine Corps band may be playing hail to the chief to President Pence by the time we wrap up this podcast. But <laughs> damn the por- torpedoes, full speed ahead. <laughs> The problem is the story is developing on so many fronts that it's hard to know where to start. So, uh, Todd, I'll toss the hot potato to you. Um, so far, w- what we've learned so far, what is most striking or most alarming uh, to you? And, and I guess what's most damaging to the president other than himself? Don't bother me. I'm, I'm trying to keep up with Twitter. <laughs> I don't have time for these questions. <laughs> Looking for developments. Um, you know, it's – I think – one interesting thing to me is how we spent all the you know all the years of the Mueller investigation with the president saying no collusion, no collusion, no collusion, and now <laughs> he's basically colluding in the open. Yeah, he's you know he's asking China to help during a news conference. He's he's had this phone call with Ukraine and, and perhaps other communications uh, that we haven't that haven't been disclosed. Basically, uh, making it you know clear as 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 clear as it is when you when you hear like gangsters talking in tapped phones, you know, that, hey, you got a nice country there. Uh, you know, we'd like to give you some stuff, but what about this Biden thing? And, you know, and now we've got these, now we've got these text messages that seem to suggest that there was a, a diplomat that was saying, hey, this is crazy. We can't do this for, to benefit a political campaign. Then five hours later, there's a, a very lawyerly response to this saying, well, I think you're mistaken. There's no quid pro quo. And it's, so what, I would like to hear that phone call, that the, the first phone call that the text was referring to. So, yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there, and it doesn't look good. And it's going to become, you know, I, I think Republicans right now are saying Democrats are playing a bad hand, and that's going to be, you know, the, the nation's going to re- reject this. But I think... As the evidence comes out, and if Democrats do a good job of asking the right questions and presenting this in a way that people can understand it, I think I think a lot of Americans are going to be troubled by this, and we're going to see polling on impeachment probably move in the northward direction. I think, but but I guess that you know that remains to be seen. Do you think that this is a situation where you know you talked about Democrats overplaying their hand that there's there's so much there that they sort of um, overplay their hand that, that, that they, you know, it's like a slam dunk and, but you still have to execute it. Uh. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's like when you're, you know, you, you're a football receiver and you're wide open and they throw the pass, you know, you got, you got to catch it still. So uh, it's, yeah. And, and I don't, you know, this, I I think the argue that some people are still arguing whether they should have pursued impeachment or not. I just don't know that you can look at all of this and, and, I mean, how would they have faced the, you know, the members of their own party? And I, I think their presidential candidates would have had to have split with congressional leadership. I mean, just, it just seems like he's, you know, the president's actions have, have demanded that this, at least this inquiry be done and, and that, you know, our constitutional checks and balances, this, this is when they're supposed to work. There's some speculation today that uh, the White House is going to dare uh, the House to have a, a vote on him. 
impeachment to saying they won't respond to any of these requests for documents and, and other material until there's an actual House vote. Um, and, and Ed, uh, in the cases of President Nixon and Clinton, the majority party Democrats and the former and Republicans and the latter held House votes to launch their impeachment inquiry. And um, there was they made allowances for minority reports and leading up to uh, their actions. Are Democrats opening themselves up to the criticism, which we're already hearing, that this is a coup, that they're trying to overturn the 2016 election results, um, if they don't follow that procedure and, and have a House vote to go forward with impeachment inquiry? Well, I, I don't recall the coup language being used in previous impeachment processes, and I, and I think that um, each one... Uh, I, I, I think there are probably differences um, here um, with uh, how it's been done previously, but um, there there is an impeachment procedure in in the Constitution. It's um, and and so whether they're following the procedure or not is something we can argue about. Um, but a, a coup suggests that you know this is something illegal or that there's some sort of violent process that's going on to overthrow the government. Um, I, I guess it's hard to see that uh, being legitimate. Uh, but it is serious. I mean, let's face it, this is rarely used and, and for a reason. Uh, we tend to re- reserve this for the most serious transgressions. And, you know, Democrats argued in the Clinton impeachment that it wasn't serious, that it was about an extramarital affair, and Republicans said it was about breaking the law and lying under oath. Um, in this case, um, if the Democrats do go the whole nine yards and uh, and have uh, a House vote on articles of impeachment, um, you know it'll be incumbent upon them to prove to the American people that this isn't about politics; it's about the rule of law. Uh, and and so, uh, you know, I think Todd is right. Uh, I, I think that uh, uh, people have an open mind about this, and, uh, and they're waiting to hear more. It seems like. I think one of the questions I hear is people want to know, you know, aren't sure what is an impeachable offense. And it doesn't seem that the Constitution is explicitly clear on what an impeachable offense is. It, it seems to me that asking a, a foreign country to uh, interfere in our elections or, might rise to that <laughs> level. Uh, if you're making a list of what what is an impeachable offense, it might be somewhere near the top uh, uh, there. So there's probably a case to be made for at least an investigation. Um, Aaron, in both uh, of the cases uh, we've talked about in Nixon and Clinton, um, there were members of the president's parties who um, you might say switch sides uh, uh, and voted for impeachment. I think in Clinton's case, there were like five Democrats. It was mostly partisan, um, but it, there were a few people uh, that sort of switched sides and, and voted for impeachment. Do you think there's any possibility here that this uh, is not going to be a party line vote if the House brings articles of impeachment? Well, I mean, that's given what we know now. Right now, at this point, I would be surprised if more than a, a stray few Republicans voted for this, if any at all, at this point. Um, now, I, I, I use that caveat because, as, as you guys alluded to at the top of this discussion, the, the information that's coming out on all of this is, is like a fire hose right now. Um, so by the time we get to a point, if and when there actually is a vote on this, um, who knows what more we'll all know at that point. And, and maybe by then there is something even more damning than what's already out there, even more 
smoke around a potential fire um, to, to the point where even more Republicans are kind of, you know, uh, pulled on board with this and, and feel compelled to vote for it too. Um, so that that's kind of the unknown right now. What what more we learn? What more we find out before there's an actual vote? Uh, if 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 the vote were this afternoon, no, I wouldn't expect too many, if any, Republicans to vote for it at all, based on what we hear from congressional Republicans. I just wonder how far, you know, how bad the news has to get before Republicans just say, you know, Trump was never our guy to begin with. Let's just get rid of him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, especially well, if it gets to the Senate. Well, and you got you get a taste of it with I mean, the conservative media has been pouncing on on you know, senators that haven't really even said, you know, much of anything beyond, you know, sort of being troubled or something. I mean, mm-hmm. they were I think I think Chuck Grassley was getting some grief in conservative media this week just for saying that the whistleblower should be protected. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's sort of his signature thing. And, right. but you know, that, that was too far off the, out of the tribe for, for comfort. Yeah. So it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough world for the Republicans who do decide to look at all this and say, yeah, mm-hmm. I think the constitution and the country are more important than my party. And, and that's, you know, We'll see how many of them do that, but you're right. The it's gonna, you know, the, the weight of the evidence is gonna decide that. And if it's if it, you know, if you if you start seeing uh, glowing stories on Fox News about, you know, Mike Pence, man of our time, maybe we'll, <laughs> maybe we'll know that something's shifting. Yes. Something's shifting in the wind. Yeah. <laughs> how presidential Mike Pence is looking these days. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's ready to lead. Yeah. <laughs> Well, moving right along, uh, after months of testing the water, State Senator Marionette Miller-Meeks has formally entered the race for the Republican nomination in Iowa's 2nd District. Although Democrats have a significant voter registration advantage of about 25,000 voters, the political prognosticators call the race for the seat held by retiring Dave Loebsack a toss-up. Uh, <laughs> Miller Meeks will face uh, Illinois Congressman Bobby Schilling. I'm told other Republicans who had been thinking about running are, quote, less interested now, uh, according to a party official, I should say. Uh, Ed, uh, what does the Miller Meeks Schilling race look like? Um, from what I see, he's offering a, a lot of Republican red meat and dire warnings that if Democrats are in charge, we'll all be Illinois overburdened by taxes, regulation, and debt. Uh- yeah, I mean, yeah, that has been what he's saying. It's what he's most familiar with, what's happened in Illinois. Um, and, and, you know, but that's something, I, frankly, I think he needs to be careful about. Uh, it's a reminder that he's pretty new to Iowa, that most of his life has been in Illinois. Uh, and it's something that, you know, I, I would suppose, if not Miller Meeks, surely some of her allies would bring up that, you know, she's the person with the longer tenure in Iowa here. Uh, but, but, yeah, that's, that's what he's been saying. And, and do you get any sense of how... It's playing in the Republican primary field, or is it? It's still. Too- I, I I'd be surprised if whole. I'd be surprised if a whole lot of people are paying attention right now. Um, I understand that Schilling's um, traveling around, and uh, but but my sense is that uh, uh, that whatever primary race there is is uh, is pretty low key. Um, now that Miller Meeks is in the race, and there's a chance for two candidates to uh, sort of set off one another. Um, I think people will dial into it a little bit more. Aaron, uh, both of these candidates come with some baggage. Miller Meeks has run three times and lost three times to Loebsack. Um, 
should that disqualify her? Schilling served a term in the U.S. House, uh, then lost re-election. Re and he's lived on the Iowa side of the Mississippi for just a few years, as Ed mentioned. Uh, he has businesses here. Um, is he tainted by his former address? Yeah, I think those are both. Um, uh, I think you said baggage. Um, I think that's the exact right um, term to use. Um, neither of them are, are crippling issues uh, by any means, um, but but it's but they're certainly not going to help um, either. Um, <clears throat> especially once you um, move to a general election, when you talk about Schilling and uh, and then his. Um, personal background, having lived most of his life in Illinois instead of Iowa. Um, I don't know how much Marionette Miller Meeks will bring that up in the primary campaign. I, I, maybe she will, maybe she won't. I, I am quite certain that if Bobby Schilling is the party's candidate for the general election, uh, the Democrat will definitely bring that up. <clears throat> so that's something he's going to have to, he's <laughs> something he's going to have to address and, and, and deal with. And, um, and, and I think Miller Meeks's problem is probably more on the, um, uh, on the primary side of things, you know, can, can she, you know, excite or motivate enough Republican primary voters, um, when those people know that, look, she's been our candidate in this race, um, three times and, and hasn't, one yet now the difference being this time it's an open seat race and she's not trying to knock off an incumbent and that and that's probably an argument she'll make that you know it's one thing to try and face an incumbent who's been around for a while um versus competing in an open seat race uh, i'm guessing that'll be part of her argument there so um but but at the end of the day yes those are both um issues that uh each candidate will have to address in their campaign Ed, uh, second district uh, voted for Donald Trump in 2016, but reelected Loebsack that same year and, and reelected him again in 2018. Does that speak to the the toss up nature of this district? Well, whether it's a toss up or not, I think depends a lot on what happens at the top of the ticket. How competitive um, Democrats are in a state that um, I think a lot of folks think at the top of the ticket is at least as things stand today. Who knows about tomorrow? Is likely leaning toward Trump in in 2020. If it's a blowout, like in 2016, that's going to hurt the Democrats. But if Iowa reverts back to its purple status, then the race is something else. Um, I think the good news for Democrats is that Rita Hart, the favorite to be the party's nominee, is, is somebody who will play well in a district um, that, yes, it went for Trump in 2016, but before that uh, has mostly been uh, a part of a uh, left-leaning part of Iowa. So um, is it a toss-up? Um, I, I would say right now, sure, that's uh, that's a pretty accurate description. Um, it, it may become less so uh, depending what happens at the uh, at the top of the ticket. Mm -hmm. You mentioned Se State Senator Rita Hart is running, and there's a Iowa City transportation engineer Newman Abuisi, uh who's also running in the Democratic primary. Are, are you seeing much activity there, or is it pretty low key at this point? Uh, seems pretty low key here. Uh, I think a lot of the, uh, uh, the Democratic establishment uh, has uh, thrown in for uh, uh, for Rita Hart, and uh, and so uh, I, I think my impression is that there's mostly a general election um, campaign that's kind of being run here to the extent that uh, that there really is one. But yeah, like the Republican side, it's it's pretty low key. Okay, all right. And at the state legislature this week, there was some news. Uh, House Speaker Linda Upmeyer 
um, after 17 years in the legislature and the past three as a Speaker of the House, said she will step down uh, from the position of Speaker and she will retire at the end of her current term. Uh, Upmeyer is the daughter of a former House Speaker, Del Stromer, and she was the first woman to hold the, uh, that position. Todd, um, any thoughts on how Upmeyer has influenced the House and the legislature? What her impact has been? Well, I, you know, I think she'll she'll go down as a as a pretty consequential House Speaker. I mean, if you look at the aggressive record that she presided over for the Republicans, they they did lots of the things that were sort of pent up over the years. They they uh, uh, you know dramatically altered collective bargaining they cut taxes they they uh you know they did regulatory reforms i mean they they a lot of the things that republicans have talked about over the years and have been done in other states wisconsin included uh, they they were able to to pass she held the majority in 2018 when the winds were sort of blowing the other direction so i i guess for republicans you know she's she's for the republican agenda she's been very successful uh, for those of us that aren't crazy about the Republican agenda, the, the, you know we can talk about consequential in a, in a different in a different way. But uh, you know, I think I think she's uh, you know we've we've had House speakers over the years that have accomplished things. But I think you know as as a as a party agenda goes, that's I mean their their list is pretty long. Mm-hmm. Aaron, you've covered up Meyer in the legislature, and did this come as any surprise uh, that she would step down? Um, no, I wouldn't say it was a huge surprise. And before I expand on that, I want, I want to make a note here for all our listeners and my readers after what Todd just said, I will gladly pass along a forwarded email with my weekend column to show the timestamp on it because Todd just basically said everything that I wrote in my weekend column for anybody, (laughs) for anybody who who reads that and listens to the podcast and wondered if I just copied and pasted Todd's transcript. Um, well, you just yeah, saved me some time. I, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I, I, I wasn't shocked. Um, there were rumors around the end of the session that, um, um, that there might be, um, other options presenting themselves to the speaker and, and maybe she was thinking about, uh, the next step in her career and in life. Um, now she insisted when we asked her about that this past week that, that wasn't the case at the time and that she wasn't um, thinking about that back then. Um, but, but, you know, it, it was just one of those things where there were, there was talk about her possibly moving on at some point sooner than later. And, and as Todd noted, you know, she, she, she oversaw a lot of big items, a lot of big agenda items over the last four years or so. Um, and it's, and as you look ahead to the next year, few years, the, the, the question is kind of what more could she want to uh, accomplish? Um, and while she was only speaker for a handful of years, um, she's been around the legislature for almost two decades. So she's certainly, uh, put in her time. So, so from that standpoint, it was not terribly surprising, uh, to steer, see her step down. Um, and then the other aspect is look at, and again, she insisted this wasn't, part of it but but you can't help but wonder look there's another t- big election coming up uh, house republicans took some losses in the last one they could have another 
tough going this one um all these little things could be something that just uh, kind of added up in, in the total calculus but but at the end of the day she, uh speaker of myron says that it was just about family she had a grandson who this summer pointed out she's never had a chance to come see him play soccer and 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 those kind of things weighed on her um mind as as she uh, made this decision yeah, I can't tell you how many uh, text messages uh, and emails I got towards the end of the session saying uh, uh, the rumor in the lobby is that uh, Upmeyer is stepping down. You know, it could be as soon as today. It's, you know, those sorts of messages. So, uh, <laughs> you know, of course, you have to, you know, consider and the source. Anything prefaced with a rumor in the lobby yeah. is just like, this is probably complete yeah. bunk. But so <laughs> here it is anyway, because it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> because I want to be the first one to say it, <laughs> in case it's true. Uh, Aaron, what happens now? Uh, who, who's going to succeed uh, Upmeyer? Yeah, so they're going to meet uh, actually pretty quickly here on on Monday. Uh, the the House Monday, Republicans, yeah, yeah House Republicans are going to meet and, and have that vote. So um, there are a few um, kind of obvious. Uh, uh, candidates, um, Pat Grassley, uh, Chuck Grassley's grandson, who's been chairing the budget committee, uh, Chris Hagenau, who's been the majority leader. That, that's been the natural line of succession the last few times, the majority leader becoming the speaker. Um, that's where uh, Linda Meyer, Upmeyer moved from. Um, and then uh, Matt Winchittle, who is the speaker pro tem right now, um, uh, conservative from, uh, um, I believe it's Western Iowa. I believe it's Northwest Iowa, right? Um, and uh, and a big gun rights. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. Um, uh, those three: Matt Winchettel, Chris Hagenau, Pat Grassley. Uh, I, I expect the next speaker to be one of those three. Now you never know uh, 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 who else might be campaigning for it and who might be um, getting the support of their colleagues but i would suspect it will be one of those three who has the advantage uh, uh, among those i i honestly don't have a good feel for or sense for but but i would expect the next speaker to be one of those three gentlemen and it may you know it may end up being whichever of these guys that they feel like is going to be able to articulate the best political message and and mm-hmm. and you know make sort of to give you that clear political leadership as an election approaches and, and stake out your divisions with the Democrats and, and in a clear way. So that, I don't know if that, that favors Winchettel in any way. He seems to, he seems to be adept at that, but uh, Pat Grassley, you know, he's been there and he's, he's got that, it's that got the name. name. It's, it's familiar. It's the a familiar pedigree. name. I, I can't quite place it, but I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. In, in conversations the, the last few days, uh, kind of the, the theory that I'm getting uh, is that uh, Grassley is likely to be the next speaker, that uh, his grandfather wants it more than anybody else's grandfather. Oh. Um, uh, <laughs> uh, and... and <laughs> <laughs> that Winshittle likely will be a majority leader, but that, uh, um, uh, in the, again, this is coming from the lobby, but a, a lobbyist told me that Winshittle hasn't perfected playing politics well enough uh, to oh. succeed as speaker. That uh, he can clearly articulate his message and he can be somewhat intimidating and convincing, but uh, he hasn't learned the political game quite enough. And it sounds like Hagenau probably is the odd man out here. Hmm. Um, 
and you know that and a couple bucks will buy you a, a cup of coffee at, at most greasy spoon so windshield it is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some name we haven't heard of you know andy mckean returns to the republican party <laughs> cinderella story do, do you get any sense of what the the change in leadership will mean for the republican caucus in the house i mean does it become more conservative um it, it seems like Governor Reynolds loses a, a key ally in the speaker, uh, in the speaker's role. If Upmeyer leaves, that um, Aaron or, or Todd thoughts on uh, on how this might affect the next session. Yeah, um, I, I, I'll, I'll just take a quick stab at that, and I think it depends on which of those three. Uh, again, assuming it's one of those three um, gentlemen, that which of those three gets it. I mean, if it, if it's Hagenau you would expect that he would kind of operate in a manner similar to the way uh, Linda Upmeyer did, given how closely he worked with her um, the last uh, few years um, as the majority leader and, and speaker relationship. Um, if it's Grassley, um, um, maybe he's got a little more, as, as, as you were talking about, as one of the lobbyists was describing, Jim, maybe he has a little more sense for the, for the politics of the, of the Capitol and, and, um, knowing what you have to do to, to get uh, things done here. And, and maybe I could see Winshittle being the more pure conservative, um, uh, type voice, uh, um, maybe a little less willing to compromise on things. So, so, so that will be very interesting to see, um, a, who it is obviously. And then B, to, to, to your question, in what direction does that take the House chamber? That, that'll be, I think that's that, that's kind of the big question that we won't know until we know who the next speaker is. And, and once we get a taste for their uh, leadership um, in, in, when the session convenes in January, but it'll be very interesting, not only because of the changeover, but as you noted, because it's happening in an election year. And when uh, these House Republicans are trying to maintain um a majority that was that is slimmer now than it was two years ago. For what it's worth, I was looking at uh, fundraising by these folks. Um, Hagenau has raised much more money than either Winshittle or Grassley, but of course, part of that has to be attributed to being majority leader. Um, when you're in leadership, that tends to attract a lot of money. However, um, Upmeyer has raised more than the three of them combined, oh, which yeah. again <laughs> speaks to yeah. being Speaker of the House. Uh, so. Right. <laughs> For for what that's worth, but uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, Monday who emerges uh, from the Republican caucus as the next Speaker of the House, and we'll talk about that on a future edition of On Iowa Politics. I hope it's been worth your time today. Thanks for listening. If you like the show, tell a friend and subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher. Send fan mail to onIowaPolitics at gmail.com. And you can find us every week on the home pages of the Quad City Times, Sioux City Journal, Muscatine Journal, Mason City Globe Gazette, Waterloo, Cedar Falls Courier, and the Cedar Rapids Gazette. Youth Orchestra will take us out. If you know a band or talented Iowa musician who should be on our show, send us a sound file and remember to follow us on Twitter and subscribe to On Iowa Politics on iTunes and Stitcher. For Ed, Aaron, Todd, and our producer, Stephen, I'm James Lynch. Thanks for listening.
Give it 